Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Does anyone remember, and maybe this was just me, about six months ago or so, there was a study that kind of went mini viral on my social feeds. And like, frankly, studies don't usually go viral on my feeds. Typically, it's more like a juicy quote card or a reel that, that I find. But this time, it was an academic study. And it was called the effect of pregnancy in 42 elite to world-class runners on training and performance outcomes. And I think the reason that my corner of the internet lit up was because the 42 runners had essentially done way more exercise during their pregnancies than is typically recommended. And 56% of those runners came back stronger and faster postpartum. Um, which was also my experience um, as an elite athlete. I definitely came back stronger after my daughter was born. I also think a lot of athletes and active women generally are extremely frustrated by the lack of information about exercise during pregnancy and postpartum. And even what we do, little we do know has been very slow to reach our healthcare providers as well. So a lot of us just find ourselves listening to our bodies and hoping for the best, which frankly, we should never stop listening to our bodies. And also we need more quality information. So when Millie and I were talking about production for the upcoming episodes, I rem- suddenly remembered the study and thought, hey, can we find someone who worked directly on that study with the 42 elite athletes who trained during and after their pregnancies and get her on the show. And presto, that is how we found today's guest, Dr. Christy Adamo. Dr. Adamo is a professor in the School of Human Kinetics and the Faculty of Medicine in Pediatrics at the University of Ottawa. She has a multidisciplinary background and her research program Prevention in the Early Years focuses on early lifestyle intervention and upstream prevention of childhood obesity. Specifically, her research team explores the impact of healthy active living during key phases of growth, development, and determination of long-term health, namely during pregnancy, preschool, and elementary school. Christy and I take a deep dive into what we do and don't know about exercise during pregnancy, 
Turns out it's good for you and your baby. Who knew? Um, and this this podcast episode basically is everything I wish I had known 13 years ago when I was pregnant about exercising during pregnancy and postpartum. So I hope that you will also find it useful and enjoyable. But before we get into it, I have a couple fun feisty announcements. First of all, our feisty female athlete guide is now available for download and it's absolutely free and it includes all the basics on the specific information you need as a female athlete or, and the way that we define athlete at feisty is um, anyone who exercises on purpose. If you exercise on purpose, you're an athlete. Um, So this guide will help you through all the various life stages. um, and, And also if you work with women, Um, It can be super helpful if you coach people um, or if you just know women, (laughs) Um, including, so it includes working with your cycle, birth control, pregnancy, postpartum, and perimenopause. And it's an overview and includes only information that is science-backed. It's basically your starting point as an active woman. So that athlete guide is now available and can be downloaded Uh, Actually, you sign up and then we send it to you at womensperformance.com and we will put that link in the show notes. And for the triathletes out there, we launched our Feisty Trication this week. It's basically a week-long low-key training camp and vacation to Kona, Hawaii to watch the first women's-only Ironman World Championships with an amazing group of feisty women. So we are only accepting 20 women um, into the Trication. We'll basically get to hang out on the big island, cheer cheer on the first women's only it's basically the iron man hawaii um this year is only a women's race so we get to cheer on the pro and amateur women and that is happening october 9th to 15th so if you're interested in that we will put a link in the show notes to that as well so let's get ready to dive into all things pregnancy after a quick note from the folks who make this podcast possible As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tifosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tifosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tifosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tifosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. 
It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose.
Hi, Christy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you, a fellow Canadian uh, on the podcast this week. Yay. Uh, So, you know, I really want to talk about, I was aware, I think I saw it on Twitter. And honestly, I don't see very many, like, I don't read very many research studies. (laughs) You know, it's not something I spend my time doing, but that the study about the elite runners and pregnancy that you were a part of was super interesting. And of course I, you know, I went through my pregnancy when I was an elite athlete. So I really wanted to like, have you on and kind of unpack this whole, uh, what can we do and not do during pregnancy conversation? So, and what is it, what is it for you specifically that made you want to sort of be part of, um, that like studying pregnancy and athletes and that whole track, I suppose. Yeah. So let me start with, I didn't really start in athletes and athletes is not my specific focus for my research program, but I'll give, I'll tell you a little story about where I got to where I am. So during my PhD, I was actually studying um, women with obesity. And during that period of time, while engaging with these women, I learned that, or many of them would share stories with me about, oh, you know, I never struggled with my weight until I got pregnant, until I was a mom. So this was a common thread with these women that were saying my weight management aspects or my weight management trouble started during pregnancy. And when I dove in a little bit deeper with that, I started becoming interested in sort of gestational weight gain and what that meant for the mom during pregnancy, as well as for her child downstream. And so the intergenerational cycle of obesity is something that I became quite interested in. So my research has sort of fallen into or encapsulated in this area called the Developmental Origins of Health and Disease, or, or DOHAD. So simply put, this really is just exposures during pregnancy or in the early years can have a critical impact on lifelong health. So that is what it is in a nutshell. And most researchers focus on harmful exposures. So drugs, alcohol, smoking, pollutants, these sorts of things. But I was always interested in beneficial exposures and therefore physical activity and exercise is a beneficial exposure. So that from the scientific perspective is how I started out. And of course, I was once upon a time an athlete as well. Not a world-class elite athlete, but I was a varsity athlete and you know I was a multi-sport athlete and I had two pregnancies as well. So this sort of ignited more of a fire in me to continue to study this. So interesting. Okay, now, as of, you know, my daughter's 12 now, um, and I had her in the middle of a professional triathlon career, right? And so now I'm super curious, what did you find? What have you found in terms of exposure to exercise? Because I definitely exercised during her pregnancy, although I was a lot more hesitant, I think, than I would be now, given some of the new information that we have and, and what we'll talk about. But what overall, like, what have you found in that realm? Just f- broadly, broadly, as okay, much before for- I get into the specific study that you want to talk about, I can, I can tell you that on the most part, there is a a multitude of studies that have shown and lots of systematic reviews and meta-analyses. So just for your for your uh, listeners, that is kind of what is called these things called systematic reviews and meta-analyses. They are the pinnacle of um, sort of research quality and evidence. So a systematic review is when you take all of the published studies out there and you put all of that data together and you tease out sort of the findings. So from from um, the literature that has done this, that has systematically reviewed exercise and pregnancy um, studies and literature, it has shown that unequivocally, 
engaging in regular habitual physical activity during pregnancy is of benefit to mom and her baby. So there's really, there are caveats to that, of course, there are contraindications. So there's certain women that might experience a high risk pregnancy or a complication in pregnancy where that is then not the best, you know, not the best avenue. But for the most part, most women, despite the small set of women with complications should engage and it is good for them and good for baby. And that is something that I feel historically has been largely ignored. So it's always, we treat pregnant people as invalids, that it's a disease, that they need to be coddled, that they're not supposed to be doing anything. But that is, we now know that that is not the case, that it is actually beneficial to be engaging in regular physical activity. Right. And not just, you said like that's been ignored. It's not just been ignored, but I feel like even, you know, like I said, my daughter's 12. So I was pregnant 13 years ago, not that long ago. Right. I felt like I actively received the opposite message, which was slow down, stop doing what you're doing. Don't do this, this, and this, you know, it would be safer just to rest, you know, then, and I was someone who was doing either doing 25 to 30 hours of exercise a week, right? Like made no sense for my life. And so for you, obviously that is quite a significant change from, from the norm. And so that messaging obviously was inappropriate for somebody like yourself, who's already active. So I think in your case, the, the message that should have been delivered is, or the conversation, I guess that should have been had was, what are you doing right now for physical activity? And then it morphs into, okay, so maybe your 30 hours of training, let's scale that back. You know, let's think about the things that are safe and that, you know, you can do without undue risk. And that will not mean that we will make sure that you are well-nourished so that you are not in a caloric deficit. Because obviously when you're training that much, you have to ensure that you're getting enough calories to support the energy that you're outputting as well as to support the growing fetus. So, you know, a conversation rather than no, 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 a conversation about what are you doing right now and how can we um, develop or how can we work to develop a program that does allows you to continue to train, but perhaps not in the same with the same level of intensity or the same volume. So you should never like I don't think particularly a, an elite athlete, you should never be asking them to, as you would say, go cold turkey or to. Yeah, you, know, you don't want them to stop. You might want them to scale back some of the things that they're doing, but within reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, I don't think I was ever asked to stop, but I just felt like that was in the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? Um, And I'm, I'm happy to see that's changing largely because of, because of some of the studies, like the ones that you were part of. So the one that made the headlines, right. Is this one with the, with the 42 elite runners, which my, in my limited understanding of how sports science works, like even finding 42 pregnant postpartum elite runners um, to study must've been uh, difficult. Tell us about like the study and its methodology. Okay. okay, for sure. So first of all, I just like, I need to acknowledge that I was involved in the latter parts of the study, but I was by no means the lead. So okay. this was led by my colleagues, uh, doctors, Francine Daria, uh, Darak and, uh, Ashley, uh, Audrey Giles. Sorry, okay. just messed up their names. I know them quite well. That's embarrassing, but Francine and Audrey. Um, so they really deserve credit for the genesis and the oversight of the study. It was it was their study, but I'm a pregnancy person, so obviously this is where uh, I come in. So mm-hmm. um, we were fortunate that um, both Francine and Audrey and their circle, uh, for instance, Francine's husband and some of the other people that were involved in the study, are very well connected with elite runners mm. and elite athletes. So it helps 
to be able to recruit a sample of world-class and elite athletes if you were already part of that class yourself. So that made it a little bit simpler for us to be able to accrue these 42 individuals, like having um, having networks that were engaged with these, these populations already. So that kind of um, allowed us to be able to recruit these individuals. And um, without a doubt, this, this study challenged many of the historical, historically held beliefs that pregnant folks need to be treated like um, they're I don't know, rare and precious flowers Mm -hmm. and that they shouldn't push themselves physically. They don't want to harm the growing fetus. Like in brief, um, our study was unique in that um, we were able to look at these athletes during, you know, we didn't look at the athletes during their pregnancy, but we were able to gather information about their pregnancy based on their training volumes and their intensities, which many other studies that have looked at athletes has been like retrospective self-report. But uh, in dealing with these athletes, they were able to go back and answer questions based on their training logs. And as you know, as a, as an elite athlete, when you're training at that level, you're keeping pretty close track of your training volumes, your intensity, you have a schedule, you have a, a diary in which you were, you were um, managing all of this. So we could, we could be pretty um, confident in the data that these, uh, these athletes were providing for us. So in having this information about their training program, and then what we did is we were able to match this with um, world rankings. And um, you know, available race performance statistics. Right. Mm-hmm. So we could look at training volumes and we could look at performance. So putting these two together was a pretty um, unique opportunity for us. And um, we were specifically looking at these uh, elite world class runners who had had children over the last five years. So this was a recent, so that they would have. Uh, access to these training logs and their performance data so that we weren't looking historically at women from 20 years ago, which I'm sure there were women at that time as well that were sort of breaking barriers, but we were focusing on uh, the more recent piece. And we were able to basically identify what the intensity and the volume of training was pre-pregnancy during the three trimesters of pregnancy and in the postpartum. And, um, the bottom line, and I think what everybody really needs to know, what your listeners need to know, is the participants who wanted to return to elite performance following, you know, their pregnancy. Because as you know, not everybody has the desire to go back. Sometimes they've had their baby and they've decided that's it. But for those that desire to still train and compete at that level, 56% of these improved their performances in the postpartum. Wow, that's incredible. And what's even more fascinating, I find, is despite racing less often. Mm. So as you know, as a past athlete, the more you race, the more sort of comfort you might gather in a scenario and, you know, you're gaining the mileage, gaining that performance edge, because when you're, when you're in a competition, you learn something each time, but they were actually, for whatever reason, they've got now new responsibilities. So they were actually actually racing less, so less opportunities to meet that mark or to exceed their previously known standards. And I think that's mind-blowing because it does challenge what for a number of years it was always the a pregnancy sort of marked the death of somebody's career. Right. And <laughs> now we know that that should not be the case. Mm-hmm. 
So interesting. So essentially the 42 elite runners had like, they had already self-selected into a training program through their pregnancy. You weren't like standing beside someone pregnant on the treadmill going, go harder, go harder. No, no, no. So this was related to like, it's, it's a bias sample in that, in that cases, these were women that were had already decided that they, you know, wanted to continue their training regimen during their pregnancy. And, you know, we know there are a subset of women who don't, or who decide that, you know, now my priority is going to be pregnancy and my family for forevermore. And then I will just, you know, be a recreational athlete. Um, so yes, this, this was a unique population in that case. And it was based on, so they answered um, a questionnaire that gave us considerable information on their history, on their pregnancy, on any complications they might've had on their training, et cetera. And do you think there's any physiological reasons for that, that improvement, that 56% that improved? Yeah. That's an, that's an excellent question, Sarah. So Mm -hmm. there are things, things that, so first of all, we know that during pregnancy, um, there are a few potential training advantages Mm-hmm. that a pregnant individual might have during various stages in their pregnancy, your blood volume has increased. So you have more circulating oxygen, more hemoglobin, you know, your cardiac output increases. And this, is, these are physiological changes that are in place to ensure the health and safety of a growing fetus. But as an athlete, these are, you know, beneficial sort of training characteristics, let's say, but I'm not saying that pregnancy is an ergogenic aid. That's not it, but just, there are some there are some advantages physiologically during periods of time during pregnancy. Another one of the, the, the messages that's touted around is that once you've experienced childbirth, you have a, an appreciation for what ultimate pain might be. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the pain that you're you know, experiencing during a race or during a competition might pale in comparison to what you will recall from from childbirth. So that's, you know, sort of from the, 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 um, mental health and the preparedness piece. Another aspect, which is quite interesting. And I think some of this is, there was a study out of France from a team out of France that pointed towards if you get pregnant before what is generally in your sport, considering the considered the peak performance age range. So for most running, let's say it's between the ages of 31 and 32. So if you have a pregnancy that you're experiencing before or around that time, you might not have reached your max capability yet. Mm-hmm. So then you can, once you've had your child, you are you still have a little bit of room to work with to meet that pinnacle of your, of your uh, competitive sort of possibility or your capabilities. So these are some of the things that are thrown around with regards to why that might be the case. And maybe you now have somebody you're competing for. So you want, you know, you now have a a young child for whom you are the role model for, and perhaps like that gives you that extra perspective or that drive to, to be your best. Yeah. Yeah, there could be a lot of reasons. And what about postpartum? Are there any physiological pieces postpartum? I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. Or is that a myth? <laughs> yes. So, well, postpartum, so, it, you know, obviously your blood volume doesn't immediately, you know, go back to normal. There's a transition phase, but postpartum is interesting. 
So if you're breastfeeding, that is not exactly conducive to training or performing. And there are risks associated with returning too quickly, particularly as a breastfeeding um, individual, because your bone mineral density is as at risk essentially during that period of time. So the risk for things like stress fractures or uh, these types of injuries is you're at a, a slightly greater risk during that that time point, which is why, and in our study too, we showed that women didn't start the day after they gave birth. They kind of had a lag time of six weeks or so before they started training again, just so that they could, you know, uh, establish a routine, recover, have their, you know, uterus shrink, their cervix sort of start to go back like all to th- that recovery as well. That physiological recovery is Im- important. So to say that there's a postpartum advantage, not really, because you do need to give your body enough time to repair and be prepared to train without undue risk. Right. Um, I was just thinking about how, um, not to bring everything back to like my experience, but that's my, that's my experience with pregnancy. Um, I remember reading that, and I had forgotten about this till just now that it would help if I gained weight, like that, you know, I needed to be between 16 to 20% body fat in order to get pregnant. Um, and I remember intentionally when I was trying to get pregnant, trying to gain weight, like, is that, is that true? Well, or is- so there is some truth to that. So there is like what we would consider like a reproductive sweet spot, right? That you have to have enough body fat to allow yourself to be ripe for pregnancy as supposedly, like these are obviously not the correct physiological terms, but you know, there definitely is a certain need, like there is a need to be a regular menstruator. You know, mm-hmm. you, right. those uh, individuals who have very low body fat or are training at a high volume, they tend to become amenorrheic. So in order to have and sustain a pregnancy, you have to ovulate. So you need to be regular. I'm not saying you need to be a regular menstruator, menstruator, but you, that cycle needs to be present. Right. And so, and I think that that generally in athletes, the suggestion, particularly if they're on the low side of BMI or the low side of body fat, that that might provide them that a, a little extra weight, not to the extreme, of course, but just holding on to a little bit of extra weight might make for a more conducive environment for, for a pregnancy. So, and I think that that is, that is commonly, um, thought of, and it's commonly something to think of. I actually was given, not that I was ever incredibly, um, lean, like not like in a marathon runner, but I was relatively lean. And it was the same thing that I was told. My doctor actually said to me, you know, you might want to consider putting on a few pounds just so that, you know, we can ensure that everything is in place hormonally to support a pregnancy. Right. And- yeah. And it makes sense that the more, perhaps the more important piece is the re- having a regular cycle if you're trying to get pregnant, like just being healthy enough for that, whatever that means for you. Right. And generally that is associated with a certain threshold of body fat percentage. Right. So, um, and this is also something that was noted in, in our study and other studies is that generally when women are successful, women athletes are successful in conceiving, it is when they're reducing their training volume. Mm. So, you know, they've reduced it to either intentionally to support a pregnancy or maybe an injury or for whatever reason. And that was the, the window of opportunity for a pregnancy. Right. Interesting. And did you find that there are any um, sort of, does the body have any protective mechanisms once it's pregnant? So if like to stop, <laughs> I like think everything intense- is, <laughs> 
<laughs> everything in our bodies is a protective mechanism. There right. are so many redundancies. Like if we think um, women like or, or childbearing individuals have been responsible for the survival of the species for millions of years, they've yeah. lived through right. crazy yeah. hardships, right? Yeah. You know, famine and war and societal pressures and mm-hmm. a multitude of abominable conditions, yet they continue to produce for the most part, healthy children. So our species is resilient. We as, as you know, females or childbearing folks, we are resilient. And I really do think there are undoubtedly not that we can pinpoint exactly what they are, because that gets very intricate, but there definitely must be some sort of preservation um, mechanism that does allow us to carry a pregnancy to term because, and my reproductive biology colleagues and I talk about this all the time. We're like, there are so many things that could go wrong Mm -hmm. during a pregnancy. Like when you think about all of the pieces that need to come together and all of the critical biology, there are so many places where it could get screwed up yet for the most part, most people have healthy children. Mm -hmm. Like 95% of pregnancies end in a healthy child. Yeah. It's, so just, it's, it's yeah. It's magical, really. Yeah. Am I, you know, and because I think the reason I asked that partially is my my inability to actually execute on super fast track sessions was actually how I knew I was pregnant. Right. So like I was go, I remember running for we were at a training camp in Australia and I was running for four hundreds and my times literally went like I did one at maybe my normal what I would expect to do. And I it was like seconds slower, just every single 400 to the point was like, what is wrong with her? Right. Then the next week it was like, Hey, or mile repeat, something like this. And I couldn't, I just could not couldn't run explain fast it. and I couldn't explain. Yeah. And you know, and I knew what fatigue was. I'd experienced like all different kinds of layers of what can happen in training if you're off your game. And I just thought, I think, and, and I was trying to get pregnant and I thought, I think I'm pregnant because somehow my body's going, no, like hard no on this. And then we also like, you know, I had heard, you know, don't like, don't cross your anaerobic thresholds for too long when you're pregnant, like that kind of thing. Or even when you're trying, don't, that's the advice I had 13 years ago. Part of that has to do with the concern about, well, the placenta, mm-hmm. but early, early in pregnancy, this isn't really the concern, but as your pregnancy develops and as your placenta is developing, um, you want to ensure like you don't want it to be hypoxic for long periods of time, because this is how you communicate with the baby. However, we do know that okay, let's say there's a short-term amount of hypoxia in the, in the placenta. As soon as you've stopped that exercise bout, it's flush with blood again in the oxygen. So like those small bouts, probably that like, you know, that's not going to be the end of the world, uh, suffice it to say, but, um, but what a wonderful reason for your training to go down. Like, you know, (laughs) although, you know, it's a, blessing in disguise. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I can't, I just thought I can't be the only one. And I did. And also that advice about like, don't spend too much time above like anaerobic threshold. I'm like, and I then you're starting if I to wanted think. to. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and was it, was it? Yeah. I, again. Yeah. Mental side is really, but I felt like I just, if, even if I had wanted to, I couldn't have. And I think there's like, um, we've talked about this, like my team has talked about this before, like when it comes to thermal regulation, there seems to be when you exercise, you get hot. And as you said, you were training in Australia. So the temperature is higher. So I do feel that our bodies have some sort of protective mechanism that is saying, I am overheating. Mm-hmm. I need to put in place 
some sort of strategy to minimize this excessive heat that I am experiencing or this, you know, this thermal regulation, thermal regulatory challenge. So, you know, this could be your sensors telling you, I need to scale back a little bit, or, you know, I feel that I am overheating or your body senses that it's overheating and it wants to protect that little growing pea. Mm-hmm. And again, I, right now with the research, there is all sorts of speculation about this, but studying a human pregnancy is very challenging. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to actually get hard measures, like um, what we would call direct measures of any of this, because nobody's going to volunteer to be, have their placenta poked and prodded and their intrauterine environment poked and prodded during pregnancy. Like that's just not, it's not a realistic expectation. So yeah, um, totally. And who becomes the, who becomes the group that you say, okay, we're going to try to push you so hard and see what happens in your pregnancy. Like nobody wants to do that. I'm pretty certain that would be a breach of some form of ethics. Yeah. So I don't know that you would, I don't know that you would ever get clearance to do that sort of study. Yeah. Um, Okay. So what do you recommend? Like for our listeners, I'm guessing, you know, we, we have, we have a lot of endurance athletes, but also athletes across a variety of sports, amateur athletes. What do you recommend for, you know, kind of the average amateur athlete, if they're looking to get pregnant or if they're pregnant? So Right now, what is available in Canada and throughout the world, there are physical activity guidelines or clinical guidelines for exercise during pregnancy. But for an athlete, they would be very mild. Mm. So the recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity over a week. Mm-hmm. So for a athlete, that is a very minimal challenge. That is a very minimal exposure. Mm-hmm. So what I want to be clear on is with athletes is that you do have a conversation with your healthcare provider. So whether you have an obstetrician, a general practitioner, a doula, a midwife, your coach, you definitely want to have the conversation to say, you know, I am trying to get pregnant or I am pregnant. I want to talk about my training plan so that everybody is aware. And, and as you said, so that nobody is questioning when you might be slower during a period of time, that it's not that your effort right. isn't there. It is that, you know, you are actually responding to a physiological change in your body and the need to support a growing human. So, but I think it's important to understand where you are in your training program and formulate a plan moving forward that is going to include, you have to realize that you are going to have to decrease your volume and your intensity, whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. There are anatomical changes that are associated with pregnancy as you've experienced. So there are certain things, no matter how trained you are, you will not be able to do the belly. Eventually, you know, it's pushing on your bladder. It's, it's, you know, encroaching on your diaphragm, breathing becomes very difficult. So being able to work at your anaerobic threshold, you can't, mm-hmm. you really it's, or your anaerobic threshold becomes like low intensity exercise because of the the anatomical changes that are occurring that prevent you from doing you know what you were doing before so i think you have to be realistic in the expectations is that you while you can continue to train you have to realize that your training program is not going to look like your pre-pregnancy pre-pregnancy training program that there are going to be changes and you have to and that's fine but the data out there shows you can recover you can respond and you can still perform at the top of your game after your pregnancy. So as long as you have, 
as long as you are engaged in an environment that's healthy, you know, you, you can return barring injury, you know, if you're not pushing it and injuring yourself that you should be able to return to your sport with, you know, there's going to be a time lag between you getting up to your peak performance, but you will get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about nutrition in that time? Yeah. So nutrition is critical during pregnancy, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. But what is particularly critical for an athlete, uh, an endurance athlete or an athlete that is expending a great number of calories um, in training and in their sport that they have to, you have to be intaking the calories that you require to replace what you have expended and a little bit more. Right. I'm not saying you need to be eating 2000 calories more than you regularly would, but you have to consider what you've expended at another 300 kilocals, at another 500 kilocals at the, you know, t- near the end of your pregnancy, just to make sure that you are nourished, that you have all of the essential nutrients and vitamins and the things that are necessary for your baby's brain and their growing organs. So when you're pregnant as an athlete, it's no longer just about you. Whereas you could be relatively selfish when you're on your own or when you're independent, but as a athlete who is pregnant, there are other considerations that need to be at the forefront. And I think most people recognize that, but just to keep that sort of, you know, it's not just me, it's me and and something else right now and somebody else. In perspective. Yeah. And then I think it's like, that's kind of one end of the spectrum and on the other end of the spectrum. And this is kind of where our, you started when we started talking is like that sometimes some of those messages we've got about pregnancy, about eating for two quote unquote, or have, have led to um, I, like det- detrimental. That's, I think what I heard you say, detrimental effects for um you know, for, I, I think I've actually seen, I have athlete friends who have actually um, been ha- seen some of those negative effects because they have, you know, essentially gone from one body to a completely different body in nine months. And it's, it's hard. Um, so yeah, for those, for those people, what do you say? Yeah. And so you're right. It's a fine balance, right? So you have to, you have to recognize that while you need to be able to support the growing baby, you need to support your athletic endeavor and the energy that you're expending you can go too far Mm. the opposite way, the eating for two, which is the largest myth known to man. I like (laughs) for the first part of your pregnancy, honestly, like it's like two cells joining and there's nothing there. You do not need that does not to sustain that growing, you know, amoeba sized thing. You do not need a thousand extra calories a day, but you need, you do as your pregnancy progresses need a little bit more, Mm -hmm. a little bit more above what is your standard metabolic operating requirement, right? So, but, and this is another thing too, is pregnancy is a very, very specific time point where you have a lot of freedom that generally you might not have in, you know, so for example, individuals who are food restrictors. So there are these individuals in this these the world that are restrained eaters and they're very cautious about what they eat but pregnancy is a time point where they can let loose. They're like, nobody's going to comment. I am supposed to gain weight during this period of time. It is the expectation. Therefore I'm going to relinquish some of this control and that can lead to overgaining, which again, so undergaining is a problem, but overgaining is also a problem. So there are recommendations as to how much you should gain. And you really want to stay within those guidelines. 
uh, it's critical for, you know, your own risk as, uh, as a childbearing individual and the risk for the child that you're carrying. So it's a, it's a consideration. So exercise is very important, but eating is also very important. And the two of them, it's hard to separate them because they're, these are kind of critical life activities, right? You, you can't survive without eating while you can survive without exercise. It's not good for you. So yeah. And it's such a, it's such a fine balance too, right? Cause also for a lot of people, like you, you're having these weird cravings or you're, you put off the idea and you have nausea of food just kind of in general, right? So there's all these like moving parts. And, and, you know, being able to accommodate all of those changes is huge. So as you said, there's sensitivities to smell, to food, to taste, like, you know, many, many women experience that you mentioned the, the nausea. So there are, you know, there's a subset of women who are incredibly ill throughout their pregnancy. So you know, they're really just trying to hold down calories. Mm -hmm. They're not really thinking about all of the nuance associated with what I'm eating, how much have I been eating? It's like, you know, I've been vomiting up what I've been eating for the last eight and a half months. I really just need something, sustenance. So it's, yeah. And to say that pregnancy is easy, it is not for, and for some individuals, it is a piece of cake and they love it. And these are the people that should be creating like the world those people that find pregnancy lovely, great, but that is not everybody's experience. So just Mm -hmm. getting through pregnancy is its own challenge. It is a, it is a marathon. It's hard. Yeah, totally. And the other thing, do you, I want to ask a little bit about lifting and weight training. Like, are there studies with that and pregnancy? Like how much do we know there? So the data on that, the the studies with relate with regard to like a CrossFit or weight training, resistance training, they're in their infancy is what we would say, meaning there is very little out there. And part of that is related to concerns with regard to lifting and the Valsalva maneuver, which is very hard on your pelvic floor and, you know, sort of the mechanisms of breathing. So it's thought that this has been, is a risky sort of behavior. So there hasn't been a lot of research, like really, well-designed research looking at these types of training programs, not to say that they cannot be done. And there is some anecdotal evidence to suggest that in those individuals who are already avid um, sort of participants in this type of, of training, that they can continue to do so with adjustments. Like you have to think about the belly, you have to think about your lax ligaments, you have to think about your range of motion changes. Like there are all these things that happen during pregnancy that you have to account for when you're lifting or when, when you're doing something. But something that is of concern generally is when you think about your pelvic floor. So right. you had mentioned earlier that you do some lifting. Mm-hmm. When you're not pregnant, that pelvic floor is under pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. think about when you're things are all out of whack when you're pregnant, right? And there's a lot of pressure on your on your pelvic floor. And you know, that can lead to issues down the line. Not saying that that is, you know, what's going to happen with 100 percent certainty, but these are some of the concerns. But I think as this genre of research essentially becomes more acceptable, now that we know that, you know pregnant individuals, we need to know about them. They're not diseased. This is a natural part of life because for the longest time, we we kept pregnant individuals out of research studies. 
They were excluded from every physiological research study. So we really, for the longest time, knew nothing about pregnancy. So we're now taking it to the, now we know about habitual, regular aerobic physical activity. The next step would be looking at more intense lifting type exercise or high intensity exercise to see, you know, where are the restrictions? Where should the restrictions be? Where is the limit to which you can push yourself without undue risk? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have, I think we have five new babies in my CrossFit gym right now. So I watched, you know, five women go through their pregnancy, continue to lift, you know, and I'm aware that like, if someone came off the street and walked in, they would, what they would be looking at at certain points is someone with a very big pregnant belly lifting what would look like to the average person, a heavy barbell. Right. But for those women, like I knew that they're like, they taking major steps down in how much weight they're actually, you know, so like what we think women are capable of sort of, first of all, like comes into the picture, right. And those, these are people who can lift to what seems to me as an ex-endurance athlete, a tremendous amount of weight in the first place. And then they're like downgrading to what, you know, when I just watched five people have healthy, amazing pregnancies while lifting the whole time. And so that's just to show that, yes, you know, it can happen and it can be done, but in a population of women who are already familiar as you said, with that exercise. So what the average person off the street is thinking that this is an astronomical amount of weight and why is she doing that? That is so risky. Without the recognition that normally she lifts three times that amount. So this is actually, you know, (laughs) she has really, you know, scaled back what she's doing. So having that sort of information, but I'm assuming these individuals from your gym were being monitored. Like, you know, if you're doing that sort of training and you're lifting weights, you know, you need to be monitored to make sure that, you know, your fetus is growing properly and that you're not um, risking your own health or risking the the health of your unborn child. So as long as you're being monitored and everything is going fine, there's no reason to stop it. There are some activities that I know are um, contraindicated during or not considered a good idea during pregnancy. Like you shouldn't be scuba diving. You know, you shouldn't be doing high intensity exercise at altitude probably shouldn't be downhill skiing. And that is not that the activity itself is dangerous, but it is the environment that you are providing for the fetus, the risk of a fall, the risk of, you know, um, oxygen deprivation, the risk of various different things is, is risky, but that is a whole different spectrum of sort of exposures versus doing a a, a lifting type resistance training routine that your body is already familiar with. So, you know, just being able to tease apart those, but, and for for instance, I, uh, I, I play a lot of hockey and ice hockey, that is not field hockey. And when I was pregnant, I remember visiting my, uh, my obstetrician and he knew that I worked in exercise and pregnancy. So he really stayed away from that conversation because he figured that I knew more than he did, which for the most part is fine. But then he said to me in our conversation, he I'm like, so, you know, what is your guidance? What do you think I should be doing for exercise? And he laughed and he's like, oh, whatever you're doing now is fine. I'm like, well, I'm playing hockey. He's like, oh. (laughs) Just not that. Yeah, but just not that. Did you change sports or did you play a little hockey? or Yeah, so I just stopped because I couldn't. um, What happens eventually is you can't put your pants on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, there's a, and then it's not about me feeling that if it was just me, 
But when you're playing hockey, you don't know what the people around you are doing. It's a very uncontrolled environment. So I just felt a little bit unsafe. So I continued to like walk, run, do the thing, like bike, do those types of things. But I scale, and I also didn't play soccer over the course of my pregnancy either. Cause it just, it, those sports are not conducive to a pregnancy. Like you're going to get hit by a ball. You're going to get knocked over. Like there are things that you cannot control running, swimming, biking, a little bit easier to control than a sport that involves other people coming at you. <laughs> right. Yeah, like yeah. at high velocity. Yeah, totally. Um, and I also, yeah, like for me, I even, you know, I moved onto the trainer eventually for cycling just to be off the road a little bit. Cause the last thing I want, I mean, it's very minor risk I feel, but like eventually I just thought, you know what? I don't want to risk that, but I still want to ride my bike. And did you write a recumbent bike or an upright bike? Like were you on your training bike? Oh, so for a while I was just on like a trainer on my regular road bike, but then eventually I had to put a, I have a video of this. It's quite funny. I put like a, like a milk crate underneath a front wheel so it's elevated by like a foot and a half and then I put the saddle the whole bike tilts up if you can imagine so the saddle's way tilted and then I just tilted the saddle till till it's level again (laughs) so I have this so I had this sort of rigged up on the back deck to accommodate your belly yeah (laughs) just to make sure I could still like in month eight from month eight onwards kind of thing good for you like (laughs) yes that's phenomenal and these are the things that you know female athletes have been doing to accommodate a pregnancy. So I think like it's, I really think it's brilliant that, that we are coming up with these solutions or we're coming up with these accommodations to allow us to continue to maintain our fitness over a period of time that for years and years and years was considered to be, you know, you're supposed to be sedentary feet up, like pregnant feet up, like not all you're allowed to do is cook in the kitchen, you know, like it's, yeah. uh, Yeah. we've come a long way. And I think that's just phenomenal. And in a short time as well. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, So that was sort of my last question is where I noticed on your website that you were sort of recruiting for another study. What are some of the areas of study that were, um, that are like kind of opening up now in the near future? So something that our team is very interested in. So we're interested in the impacts of physical activity on pregnancy on the placenta. Mm -hmm. So for your listeners who are less familiar, so the placenta is essentially, it's the organ of pregnancy that develops during a pregnancy. It's the only time we develop a new organ, essentially, other than in utero. And its function is to ensure that oxygen and nutrients are transported to the fetus and wastes are, are transported out away from the fetus. So it is the conduit through which you communicate with your baby. And it's critical for the survival of our species, essentially. So we know, based on some of the information that I've shared here, we know physical activity is great for pregnancy. We know it has all of these beneficial outcomes. It has all of these benefits, but we don't know why. We don't know what the mechanisms are that, that um, mechanisms that allow us to accrue these benefits. So we believe, and my team believes that it has to be related to the placenta because that is this important communication organ. And so we're trying to tease out some of the um, changes, some of the biology, biological changes in the placenta that are associated with pregnancy in humans. Oh my goodness. This is hard to study. As you can imagine, this is very, very challenging, time-consuming work, but very, very exciting. We're one of the only teams in the world that is doing that. So that is one of our exciting studies. 
I don't want to tell you about one more because, you know, I could go on forever about this, but another study that we're interested in. If So I spoke a little bit about the importance of health behaviors in pregnancy. So weight, weight gain isn't a behavior, it's an outcome, but like physical activity, nutrition, reducing one's anxiety, sort of thinking about all of the, all of the potential um, exposures that might be negative versus positive in pregnancy. However, the average healthcare provider that might see a pregnant individual doesn't have time to address physical activity, nutrition, anxiety, depression. Like, you know, they don't have time. And not only do they not often have time, but they may not be confident in their knowledge in these areas. So instead, these things are often ignored. So our team has developed a mobile app, like an application to assist uh, individuals going through pregnancy to address some of these things that might not be addressed with the healthcare provider. So to give them advice and to guide them with regards to physical activity, nutrition, sort of overall general health, anti-anxiety, de-stressing. And we're starting to test this in, uh, in pregnant individuals right now in hopes that as an adjunct sort of add on to their typical um, prenatal care, that this might help them experience a healthful pregnancy. Yeah. I love that. So is that app available now? It is for women who are individuals who participate in our study. So okay. if you know anybody who would be interested, please send them my way. And it can be done anywhere in Canada. It's in all our, um, our ability to recruit and uh, run the study can be done virtually. So it's pretty awesome. Cool. I love that. You know, I had, I had some, tr- some, tr- I mean, I love my doctor. She's still my doctor, but I had some challenges with that relationship, right? Because she did not understand me as a professional athlete. And I think maybe was a little concerned at the beginning that I was going to be under eating or over exercising, or that there was a psychological piece that was, you know, um, which wasn't really what was happening. And I felt like I kind of spent a long time navigating that until she finally, I think she finally like after, you know, my daughter was three years old and she saw me on TV in a race and went, Oh, like the other shoe dropped. Yeah. She's her. like, Oh, kind of I like, know her. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. a real athlete. Not just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she connected fully. <laughs> yeah. Like didn't connect the, the dots fully. Um, she's not a soccer mom. She's a yeah, real athlete. Yeah. Like that actually, and I just remember just constantly being, um, it wasn't, she wasn't overdone, but she, I all, I did feel a little bit like I was being encouraged to dial back <laughs> a lot. And I think you know? that that is there. And I, you know, to come to the defense of a healthcare professional, they don't, they're less familiar. So they've had, so, okay, let's say I'm a medical doctor. I've gone to medical school. I had one class on exercise physiology. Right. Throughout medical school. I don't, I learned very little about pregnancy except for in the reproductive unit. And then unless I go on to become an ob- a specialist obstetrician who is interested in exercise, I'm just trying to keep that baby alive. Right. So I am not thinking about all of the other things. And so to them, the lowest risk is let's just have her scale back and not do these things because I feel, and based on my limited knowledge, that perhaps this might be risky. So, right. And it, yeah, and I don't, you know, we can't even expect our doctors or healthcare providers to know everything, right? That's why I love this idea of your app, right? Yeah. And and I feel like, honestly, the expectations that we have of our healthcare providers is ridiculous. Like you can't know everything about every, like it's just, 
there are specialists in each field for a reason. So, you know, to expect a healthcare provider provider in prenatal care or antenatal care to have all of this extraneous knowledge is unrealistic. Totally. Totally. Uh, well, Christy, thank you so much for, for joining us for this conversation. Um, you're so well-informed, appreciate it so much. And let us know when that app comes out, because I, I know that we will have um, quite a few people interested in that. Well, that's fabulous. Thank you very much for having me and for inviting me. And again, you can check out my website if you want to know anything www.adamolab.com. And if you want to know about any of my studies, I'm happy. I could talk about this all day. Obviously I'm, I'm pretty passionate about what I do. So I really appreciate having this time to talk with you. It's been great. And I, I wish all of you that are athletes to continue training and, you know, get your great performances. Cool. And we will put all those links in the show notes so you can find Christy. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. 
and I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there.